It is without a doubt good for us to be here today to sing these songs that remind us about the fact that we are in submission to God and that we are trying our very best to be his servants and we're thankful for the great example that his son set for us in showing us what it means to be a true and full servant of our great and glorious creator. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 12, where we are going to spend most of our time together this morning. And as you open there, we're so thankful for those that are here, that are regularly here, those that are here on a routine basis as members of this congregation. But as we have also said, to those who are visiting, maybe for the first time or for the second time, or maybe for many times you've had the opportunity to travel and be in our area, we're glad that you're here as well. You know, it's good to sing songs about God making us servants, and the Bible is filled with examples of great men and women who were servants of the Lord, who put him first, and that we can read about their examples and read about the way that they lived and say, I want to be more like them. But the Bible is also filled with selfish men and women who put their own interests before that of the Lord's. And we learn from them as well. That is, we learn from the positive examples that we are to emulate and from the more negative examples that we are to try to be unlike. And certainly when it comes to a man by the name of Jeroboam and his mistakes, it is an example that we are to avoid. Because when we read about Jeroboam, particularly in these seven or eight verses in chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, we read about a man who was self-centered, who was selfish, and who was focused on his own ambitions who was so afraid of losing power that he was willing to go against the very commands of God and put himself in the place of God in setting up these golden idols really to himself, to his own ambition. I've entitled our study together today, When Religion Becomes Sin. There's so much that could be said about what religion is. But we understand that we are to be religious in a true and unfettered way, as illustrated in passages like James chapter 1, where it says that true religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows, to take care of those who are less advantaged, that there is something to be said for being religious in service to our God and our Creator. But as we read these verses, I read a number of occasions where Jeroboam led the people in making them to do wrong and allowing them access to do wrong, wherein religion became sin. And what we sometimes do, and we need to be careful about doing so, is reading these passages and saying, well, that was a rotten shame that those things happened some thousands of years ago. I'm sure glad those things never transpire today. But as you know, in Romans chapter 15 or 1 Corinthians chapter 10 or other places in the New Testament, we are told that the things which were written in the Old Testament are there for a purpose to help us to learn. Learn what to do, and on some occasions, learn what not to do as well. 
And so if you would read with me in verse 25, we'll come back then and we'll set the stage with a very brief contextual review. And then I want to make four observations about when religion becomes sin. It says that Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Peniel. Jeroboam said in his heart, and we'll come back and talk about this in just a couple of moments. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And therefore the king asked advice. And he made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and he put the other in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places. He made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he, so he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made, and at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month and the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. This is a group of very skilled Bible students, but there's the opportunity here this morning that there may be those that are unfamiliar with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And it's more than just two individuals who happen to have similar names. I've always found it interesting that you have these names, especially as a young student of the Bible and Bible class. Now, how do you remember which one was which? Which was the good guy and which was the bad guy? And sometimes you got to put all these things together. I always remember that Jeroboam alphabetically comes before Rehoboam, and the north becomes on top of the south. So that helps me to understand and remember who's who. But if you glance back and you look back to chapters 9, 8, 9, and 10, you find where things are going very well in Solomon. Solomon's kingdom and things are progressing very nicely and his praise is world renowned and famously in chapter 10 you find where the queen of Sheba says you are amazing and your God has blessed you immensely. But in my Bible where I have subtitles for the different sections of verses chapter 11 has a subheading which says Solomon's heart turned from the Lord. And chapter 11 begins with one of the most consequential biblical words, and that is the word but. And chapter 11, verse 1 says that King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said, you shall not intermarry. So you know how chapter 11 then devolves into this division and into this distraction like we talked about in our Bible class this morning. And Solomon indeed turned away from the Lord. 
which led to a split in the kingdom. And as our fourth grade students could tell you, there's a northern kingdom that ends up taking on the name of Israel and a southern kingdom that takes on the name of Judah. And they are divided for a significant period of time wherein you have zero righteous leaders in the northern kingdom and you have some righteous leaders in the southern kingdom and some unrighteous in the southern kingdom as well. And so you have here the setting for Jeroboam saying, I want to make sure that the people in the northern kingdom aren't tempted to go back down south to Jerusalem because not only will they be worshiping God, they will not be worshiping me. They will then put my life in danger. He says on two different occasions in the text here of, of, of 1 Kings chapter 12, they may actually kill me. And so I want us to look at this and say, well, this may have happened thousands of years ago, but the lessons of the applications for us are just as much present in 2021 today. So I want to look at four occasions wherein religion can become sin today. And the first of those is when religion is rooted in a sense of selfish pride and selfish ambition. We come together on occasions like this to worship our God. And we say that sometimes without really thinking about maybe what we're saying. I'm here to worship God. I am not here to worship myself. I'm not here to worship some man. I'm not here to, as we'll talk about a little bit later in our study, to worship some pastor or some religious leader of the 21st century. The fact is, is we generally associate with worshiping something else, but sometimes religion evolves into a worship of self. Go back and look at verses 26 through 27. We read through those passages just a second or two ago, but I want to go back and notice a couple of phrases in verses 26 and 27. Jeroboam, it says, he said in his heart, Another way of saying that is he really meant it because from the heart proceeds all the things that come out of a man, Jesus would later say. And he says in verse 27, if these people go up to offer sacrifices at Jerusalem, incidentally in the house of the Lord. So he knew that Jerusalem was the place where real authentic worship was about was to transpire. He says, the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam. And so it seems to me that it is very clear that the motivating factor for Jeroboam was concern over his kingdom. Could we ever devise a religion or be trapped into thinking religiously that it becomes all about me? And the answer is yes. I don't know how many times I've talked with uh, erring Christians or particularly people in the denominational world and they say, well, I, I no longer go to church at church A, B, or C. And I'll ask them, why don't you go to church A, B, or C? And they'll say things like, I just wasn't getting much out of it. Or I wasn't feeling uplifted. Or I wasn't finding meaning in what was transpiring. You know, I hope that we get much out of our church services. 
I hope that you feel fulfilled when you come together today. And I hope that all of us find a sense of meaning in who we are in servants of God. But unless I miss something in my Bible, the real reason for us coming together has very little with how it makes me feel and has everything with how we praise our creator. There's a difference in what our perspective is from people in the religious world, wherein we say, this is about God. I come together to worship God. And that's one of those things that sometimes is frustrating to those of us who are members of the Lord's church, not that we are perfect, but that we strive to make sure that our worship is about him and not about ourselves. The fact is, is Jeroboam wasn't ignorant. He was purposefully seeking the opportunity to prevent true worship to the Lord. He knew what he was up to. And how he was able to sleep at night is beyond me. But he was able to do so. And able to say, I don't want them to go back to the Lord. Notice verse 27, if you want to underline things in your Bible, where he says, the house of the Lord. That Lord there is different than the Lord Rehoboam in verse 27, the second half of verse 27. So there's two Lords that are present. There's the Lord Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D in most of our English translated Bibles, and then the little L-O-R-D, which makes reference to Rehoboam. He understands that he's going against the Lord God of creation. And he says, I don't care. Throw caution to the wind because I want to make sure that my pride isn't bruised and I want to make sure that my life is sustained. You know, the very thing that he should have done is said, you know what? I was wrong the whole time. And go back and read the previous chapter and a half and you can find all the opportunities for him to say, wait a minute, I've done wrong. I've been mistaken. I need to turn my life back over to God, to the creator himself. And there's so much that you could read in chapters 11 and 12 that help you understand and fill in some of those blanks. But let me just make a very quick and urgent observation that I find very frustrating today. You know, the word pastor is a word that has to do with an elder or an overseer or a bishop. And we are fortunate that we have three pastors in our congregation that do the work as, as hard as they can and put forth the effort that is necessary to do so. But generally speaking, when we use the word pastor in the 21st century, people are talking about the religious leader of the particular religious organization. And the reason I point that out is I think that many churches have taken on this idea of Jeroboam where they become so pastor-centric, where it's all about that man that stands in the pulpit and everything is about what he teaches and he can do no wrong. And whatever he says, even if it's indifference to this book, is of no consequence to me because I'm going to do what the pastor says. How many times have you had a debate with someone or a discussion or a lively disagreement and they say, well, my pastor said this or my pastor said that? Well, with all due respect, what the pastor says and what David says, and what Leland says, and for that matter, even what our local shepherds have to say doesn't amount to anything as long as it is in disagreement with the scriptures. This book 
determines what we believe, what we teach, and what we practice. Now, we try very hard, David and I and the local shepherds here, and I think all of us, we all try to speak where this book speaks, to speak up and to teach the truth and to refrain from teaching that which is false doctrine. But we are fallible men and women who could make mistakes if we're not careful, which is why we try so hard to study on a frequent basis because we do not want religion rooted in self-pride. Secondly, religion wherein decisions are according to men are religions that are sinful. True Christian religion is based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. We won't take the time and look at these New Testament passages, but I think all of us need to memorize at least the concept of Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, where Jesus does not say, some authority has been given to me. But he says, all authority has been given to me. And we can do a detailed study of Matthew 28, where it says, all authority given. Because there's a difference between some and limited authority and the idea of taken. Because he didn't take the authority away from the Father. It was given to him. But all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And therefore, you must listen to me. Now, Jesus, of course, is the kind of Savior that we want to readily submit to him as, as illustrated in Ephesians chapter five. We are ready to submit to him because he is that wonderful savior whom we are privileged to follow. And given the fact that Jesus has all authority, our good brother read for us from Revelation chapter 22, and in verses 18 and 19, again, passages that either need to be memorized or the concept needs to be memorized that there or Deuteronomy chapter 4 or elsewhere in the Old and New Testaments, it is taught that we have no authority to make additions or subtractions to this text. We do what the Bible says, and if we don't like what the Bible says, we do what the Bible says. And there are times where there are things that are difficult for us to do in our relationships with our family or with our friends or with our business coworkers that we make those tough decisions because it's the right thing to do and because of what the scriptures have taught. Notice what Jeroboam did in verse 28. In 28, it says, the king asked advice. Well, there's nothing wrong with asking for advice with an asterisk next to it, right? There is wisdom in the multitude of counselors, Solomon would say. But it reminds me of the kinds of things that my parents would suggest to us when we were younger, when we said, well, other people are saying this, and they would say sometimes, well, who are these other people who are saying these things that you could act this way or go to this place or be involved in this activity? You see, getting advice, if you search hard enough, you will find advice that lines up with what you believe. If you work hard enough, you're going to find someone out there in the religious world who's going to say to you, yeah, what you're saying makes perfect sense to me. And so all of us can satisfy our own selfish desires and our decisions according to ourselves by actively seeking the opinions of men. And the opinion was, make these two calves of gold, which we'll talk about just a little bit further here in a second or two. 
And so the fact is, is Jeroboam seeks the opinions of men, and he got advice rooted in man's wisdom. Brian did a good job, as always, in our Bible class this morning and made reference to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where, among other things, in chapters 1 and chapter 2, Paul says, the wisdom of men compared to the wisdom of God, ha, there's no comparison because even the foolishness of God, if there were such a thing, is superior to the wisdom of men, as outlined in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. Their advice was simple, but yet profound. You should make or create these two golden cabs. These are people that were familiar with the story of the people going back hundreds or thousands of years earlier. And they should have recalled God's reaction to one golden calf. How is he going to react to two? My guess is, is not very pleasantly. I would suppose that his reaction is not going to be one where he says, well, one calf was bad, but two calves, they're fine. That's kind of silly the way to even think about. But Jeroboam instituted new high places of worship. Consider, if you would, going back to chapter 3 and verse 2 of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. It says in chapter 3 and verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. So here we are in this very positive, very rosy picture of chapter 3, and already we see that Solomon is deviating from the, from the pattern of what God have us to be and would have us to be. And it seems to me that it is now obvious that other nations were influencing Israel. Going back to chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, where Solomon had engaged in marriage with these foreign wives. Somewhere, these people thought about golden calves, thought about high places of worship, and thought about making it more convenient for themselves. They didn't just come up with that on their own. But indeed, they had looked at the pattern of other false religions and had mimicked their behavior. New Testament Christians, we have to do everything according to God as prescribed by his authority. Colossians 3 verse 17 tells us that very simply, that we are to do all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we as a congregation, sit down and talk about things, we need to make sure that we are talking about them from a biblical standpoint with this being the blueprint, with this being the pattern, with this being the foundation for everything that we do. And let us be cautious not to fall into the trap of saying, well, let's take a poll and see what we want to do. You know, there are churches of Christ that are now taking polls among their membership as to whether or not we'll use instrumental music in worship or whether or not a woman can serve in the pulpit or whether or not a woman can be an elder 
or whether or not there can be one elder instead of a plurality of elders. And all these different things. And you take these polls and everyone gets to sign up either through Google Docs or just filling out an index card. And then you tally their results and whatever they say we're going to do. That is a foolish way of operating because we are not doing what the Lord has asked us to do. Which brings us to a third observation and a third mistake that Jeroboam made. And that is when we allow convenience to outweigh what is doing right through obedience. Let us make the observation and let us be very clear at the outset that there are costs involved in doing right. I had the pleasure this past Wednesday evening of teaching the high school class. And we are blessed with young people here at Northfield Boulevard, whether it be the high school class or the college class or junior high or then on down to the grade schools, all the way down to the very small toddlers. We are blessed with lots of children. And I've said this before to those of you who are young parents, thank you or at least maybe, maybe you're not young parents, you don't feel young anymore, but your parents have young children, that we appreciate you and the examples that you set. And to the grandparents who also set those good examples and take care of those children as well, we're so thankful for you as well. But we talked about this particular point, that in becoming a Christian, there are some costs Involved. Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes so far as to say, count the cost. Understand that when you become a Christian, you may have to give up some friends. You're going to have to give up some of your time on, on the Lord's Day and maybe Wednesday evenings and personal time to study and pray and to do all the things that you otherwise know you're supposed to be doing. What happens here is that Jeroboam sought to help the people, quote, do right while making things more convenient for the people. Go back to verses 28 and 29. The king asked advice. They made two calves of gold. It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem, you poor things. It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Not the first time that statement has been made about a golden calf, right? And he, and he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And we know just by looking at a simple map that he's putting one in the northern part of the territory and he's putting one in the southern part of the territory, making it so that you have these satellite places of worship, making it so that rather than taking many days journey to get to Jerusalem, you can be there supersonic speed and worship God, check in, check out and move on with your life and get back to what's important. And these are the things that outweighed obedience in the establishment of Bethel and Dan as places of worship are unauthorized places of worship. Worship of God had become weary to these non-spiritually minded people. It reminds me of Malachi chapter 1 verse 13, probably a, a, a relatively familiar text in Malachi. You remember where Malachi says by way of the Holy Spirit to these people, Take these lame sacrifices and try to give them to your political authorities and see how that works out. But he says, you also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it and you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick and you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Has there ever been a time, and we don't want to answer this because it puts us in an uncomfortable position Got to get up Sunday morning. Oh, what a weariness. 
Got to go back to services, come at six o'clock Sunday evening. Oh, what a weariness. Wednesday evening rolls around Bible study. I've had a very busy week. Oh, what a weariness. And it is indeed sometimes costly to be a Christian. You know, one of the things that I've thought about that, that is, a, is a cost that is built into being a Christian that you maybe have not thought about before, and I haven't really thought about too much before, but when you look at the way the world takes its vacations, they don't ever worry about where they're going to end up on the Lord's day. And they have an extra built-in day of vacation in the mountains or on the coast or traveling around, whatever the case may be. What do we as Christians do when we're on vacation? We do our very best. Sometimes there are situations that prevent it if we're various places in the country or in the world. But we try to find Christians to assemble with, do we not? So that we can worship with them. And what does that do to your seven-day vacation or six-day vacation? Now you've shrunk it because you're spending time with Christians. We don't look at it that way, of course. But you understand the point that I'm making is that there are sacrifices that we make in order to do what is right because convenience does not outweigh obedience for those of us who are trying to do what the Lord wants us to do. And that is clearly something that is not just the case in an historical sense, but it is true in a modern sense as well. We could spend the rest of our time just talking about that, but let me just share with you three things that came to mind for me. Number one, a preschool or a daycare, quote, at the church on our facility would help parents and make the church some extra needed money. And you think about it. Think about what we could do with that money. Think about the uh, evangelism efforts that we could supply. Think about the benevolence that we could do. Think about the good that that would transpire. I've had at least a handful of occasions in the last 15, 20 years where someone has said, do you all have a daycare at church? I responded, well, we have Bible classes. We don't take care of your children that way, but we take care of your children in a much more important way in the way that you as parents would want to be done right. It kind of puts you in a really tough pickle there. But the fact is, is this is not authorized. This is not the appropriate way of fundraising. This is not an appropriate way of spending the Lord's money or of using the Lord's resources. Or a second thing that we could think about, having Saturday services as an alternative to the Lord's day would make things easier on my busy schedule. You know, there are churches today that have Saturday services and Sunday services, and it's not in addition to, it's in replace of. You come together on Saturday, and of course, these are places that wouldn't partake of the Lord's Supper in the first place, but that would make things a whole lot more convenient. I mean, think of what you could do, sleeping in on Sunday, mowing that grass on Sunday. Think of all those things that you could have done. Make things more convenient. That would be smart of us as a congregation. Or having meals and social activities at the church would be a nice way to get visitors to join us. I remember I was with a small church for a number of years, and every once in a while we'd get someone who would come in off the street and say, you got any donuts? Got any coffee? And I'd say, no, don't have any coffee. Don't have any donuts. We got the Bible. Will that work? (laughs) You see, people have gotten rooted into believing that the church is where we come to this building, which is not the church. We understand that, but we come to church services so I can be fed and feel better and be better. And I hope that you are fed. I hope that you feel better. And I hope that all of us are going to be better. 
But the church is about God and about worshiping him and giving him the glory that he is due. And that brings us to this fourth and final observation, and that is religion becomes sinful when the patterns of God, which we've talked about throughout this particular study, no longer matter. God has always chosen to give us a pattern of specifics as well as generics in obeying him. For example, we are here on the Lord's Day, not because we flipped a coin and said, do you want to meet on a Sunday or do you want to meet on a Saturday? Do you want to meet Monday or do you want to meet Sunday? We didn't do that debate. We said, we're going to do it on the Lord's Day. That's when we come together because that's what the earliest disciples did 2,000 years ago. God has given us that pattern of specifics. He's given us some generics as well, you could, you could argue, wherein we could come together at 9.30 or 10.30 or 11.30, but we've determined with uh, our schedules of what's best for us as a congregation. But Jeroboam disregarded God's pattern. He dis- disregarded the pattern in two different ways. One, in the priesthood. In fact, verse 31 says he made shrines in the high places and he made priests from every class of people. And if you want to circle who were not of the sons of Levi, that's a problem. And again, our fourth graders could tell you that that's a problem. You cannot just have priests coming from just any tribe. And so Jeroboam disregarded God's pattern. Now, he eventually corrupted this further by, it seems, if you read the text in chapter 13, now there's some discrepancy, sometimes there's some opinions here as to what exactly is meant by this, but he seems as if he makes himself a priest, if you read on to chapter 13, verse 33. Of course, if you go and read 2 Chronicles chapter 11, if you want to jot down those verses and come back and read those at some point, Jeroboam was responsible for the lack of the true priests in the first place. So there's all this interwoven story as to where Jeroboam did wrong in the first place, which allowed for wrong to occur in the second place. And isn't that true of us as well? We make uh, an error on one occasion, and then we open up the opportunity for errors to occur. We talk about cracking that window, opening that door for Satan just a little bit, and allowing him to come in and to destroy us slowly and bit by bit. And then there's a second thing that Jeroboam did here in verses 32 and 33, and that is he disregarded God's pattern for the feast of the booths or the feast of the tabernacles, which we recently studied in our class on Deuteronomy. Go back, and I just want to very quickly here look at one final passage before we wrap up. In Leviticus 23 uh, and verse 33, the book of Leviticus chapter 23 Verse 33. And just read two verses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of booths or tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. Now, this is one of those places. I actually, I I couldn't believe it. I actually heard a preacher uh, and appreciated his honesty. He said, you know what? The most challenging, one of the books that I least like teaching the most is the book of Leviticus. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure that I'd have the bravery to admit that because I'd want to say, they're all my favorites. I love studying them all. I love teaching them all. 
But Leviticus can be a little bit laborious from time to time. And you read a passage like that and say, okay, so the 15th day of the seventh month. Well, think about that for just a second in comparison with what we read 20 minutes ago in verse 32. What did Jeroboam do? Well, let's go and read just to make sure we get it here. It's the 15th day of the eighth month. So he takes the pattern that God has for a feast and he says, nonsense, I'll make my own feast, my own day, my own celebration, my own holiday, and it's all about me. And some would say details, details, details. But we know that with God, things that are exact are to be exact. We could go back and look at the tabernacle and look at the pattern of it. The fact is, is Jeroboam decided to change things. And we as 21st century Christians need not apologize for the pattern we follow when it comes to scriptural singing, Bible-based preaching, the way the Lord's money is used, the way that the Lord's money is, comes in. All those things are for us to be a part of the pattern of what is right and not to do what is wrong. I love Old Testament stories because they help us to understand not just what we are to be, but what we are not to be. And that is certainly the occasion here when religion becomes sin. Let's make sure that individually as Christians, that collectively as families, that as a group, as a congregation, that while our elders have this primary responsibility of guarding against this happening, we all have that responsibility as well. And we hope and we pray that God will bless us to make good decisions, that we make it that we are in service to him spiritually, wherein it is all about him. I hope that this has been helpful to you today. As much as I've said that we're here to worship our God, we are also here to encourage each other. And that is a very right and important thing for us to do to come together today, to encourage, to teach, to edify. And maybe you are here and you are not a Christian. You've never been baptized, as we talked about uh, in recent studies, as we even referenced in our Bible class this morning. Maybe you've never been baptized to have your sins washed away. We would welcome the opportunity to either A, baptize you today if you repent of your sins and confess that Jesus is the Christ, having heard the truth being taught, or B, we'll study with you. We'll sit down at your convenience, either at your home or here or wherever is convenient for you, and we'll study with you to talk about these very important things. And if you are a child of God, you've already been baptized. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it was 30 years ago. And you are struggling. And you say, it's time for me to come home. Time for me to make sure that I don't make the mistakes that Jeroboam made. Make sure that I am focused on doing what God wants me to do. And I want brethren to pray for me. We'd welcome that opportunity as well. If we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and while we sing.